but as has been mentioned uh, several times today already, uh, we're, we're studying through the fruit of the Spirit, and uh, today we're looking primarily at the first fruit, which is, is love. And we started this series last week. We're going to be doing this for 11 total weeks. And, and each and every week, we're going to be taking a, a, a bigger look at each of these virtues and characteristics uh, one word at a time. And so there's actually a lot of uh, struggle planning sermons around one word. Because when you look at it biblically, there's, there's a lot you can say. Uh, but just a, just a quick recap of the fruit of the Spirit itself. As we see on the screen here, before we look into love itself is that all of these characteristics together are, are many parts, but it is, it is one fruit. Each of themselves is their own fruit, but they're part of a collective whole where they don't work independent of one another. It's not like a, a list in which you complete them one at a time. All of these things are evident at the same time as the Holy Spirit is working in you. The second point uh, to remember from last week is that this is God's work in our lives. It's not our work for God. And so all of these things are not something that we're just to try harder at. It, it's something that you really trust the Holy Spirit to work in you and, and work in only way that, that he can. And lastly, is that these are characteristics uh, that, that are reflective of God. It's not reflective of us. And so when we look at this, it's, it's not that we just become more loving or more joyful or more peaceful people uh, but rather, it's something that we have God's love and God's joy and God's peace, etc., in our like in our life. Uh, so ultimately, these are these are Christ-like attitudes and attributes. And the first one we look at today is is Christ-like love. That the key to being a Christian, the the proof or the fruit of being a Christian, first and foremost, is is in Christ-like love, loving as Jesus loves. So I'm going to pray for us before we start the sermon, but I want all of us actually to read these verses together because a byproduct of doing uh, 11 weeks on, on one or two verses is that at the end, I hope that we could all have this memorized. So each week I'm going to have us read this together. So let's read together. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right, so the tests are coming in about eight weeks on that, so keep committing that to memory. But I'm going to have you open up to 1 John for our first uh, scripture that we're going to be referencing today. Uh, but before we do that, let's just take a moment to commit this time to the Lord and, and uh, ask the Holy Spirit to work in this. Let's pray. So Lord, we want to thank you uh, for your great work in us for uh, the fruit that is evident in our lives that is of you and not of ourselves. And God, as we study this, and, and to, today we start with the first attribute of love, uh, Lord, I just pray that, that we would come to a deeper understanding of your great love for us. And uh, Lord, we know that we could search our whole lives, we can study everything about you, we're still never going to fully understand how much you love us. But God, help us to understand more today, and furthermore, help us to reflect that love in our life uh, towards others. And so, God, I just pray for that, that your Holy Spirit would be working in us and, and teaching us today, and, and furthermore, that it would be working us in a way that we could not work in ourselves as we become Christ-like in the way we love. So, Lord, I just ask your blessings over this time, and ask that you be glorified in it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
So we actually have five points today and uh, a number of scriptures that we're going to look at. And this whole series really is going to be about kind of high volume of scripture. And we're just going to draw out one or two points from each one. And I'm telling you that more uh, for, to remind myself. Okay, I'm going to try not to do a sermon on every, uh, everything here, on every uh, scripture verse. But we, there's a lot we can learn about love when we look at it in the context of the whole Bible, we're going to start in 1 John 3. And 1 John uh, is one that talks about love a lot, top to bottom. The, the word love is used like 50 times in the whole uh, short letter. But we're going to look at 1 John 3.16, and this has a lot of parallels to the Gospel of John 3.16. But it reads as this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so what we understand from this is that love itself is, is very sacrificial in nature. Christ-like love is, is sacrificial. And we use the word love a lot in, in our daily language to describe a lot of different things. And so it wouldn't be a stretch for me in, in one sentence to say, I love baseball, I love hot dogs, and I love my wife. All right? Now, all of those things are true, but we would hope that I love those things in different ways. But in our English language, we use the word love to mean a lot of different things. Uh, but in the Greek, they had different words for love, four primary words for love. And, and the word that's used most often biblically and certainly here is the word agape, which is more than romantic love. It's more than uh, family or, or brotherly love. This is deep, sacrificial love. And, and probably the best uh, definition we have for agape is unconditional, sacrificial love that places others before yourself. That's the love that's spoken about here. That's the word love that's used in the fruit of the Spirit and oftentimes through the entire New Testament. And so we get from this that the word love is, is more than just a sweet sentiment. It's more than simply getting along and, and being nice with others. Love, true love, Christ-like love is sacrificial at its very heart. And so we read this verse that starts out with, with kind of this, this definition, like it's a Webster's Dictionary type thing of, if you want to know what love really is, then look no further than the cross. This, this is the definition of love. Jesus laid down his life for us. And how many times do we stop and just really think about that? You know, we, we understand that Jesus died on the cross, but do you think about why Jesus died on the cross? He did it for us. He did it for you. And this becomes our greatest example or definition of what love is. And so when you wrap your mind around that, right, and it's a humbling thing that you can really think about and ponder for a long time, why, why would Jesus do that for me? But when you begin to understand it, it makes the, the second part of this verse that much more challenging, that we're to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters in the same way. Now, when that's spoken to us, it doesn't mean that we literally have to die for one another, but, 
but it's more about situationally dying for one another, that we're willing to always put others first. And as you go on to read after these verses, it helps to put into context what's being said here. Then in verse 17, it gives this kind of this application point that if, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but, but has no pity on them, meaning they do nothing about it, then how can the love of God be in that person? And so it's this idea that it's, it's one thing to say that you would die for others, but, but are you really truly willing to live for others? And in verse 18, it really makes a very important point here. The Apostle John writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. And at the risk of launching into a whole other sermon here, I just want to quickly wrap up what, what actions and truth means in this, because it helps you understand what Jesus did on the cross, that, that in sacrificial love, there's an external and an internal component in which both of them are necessary for it to be true love, action and truth, external, internal. And you look at the, let's look at external first, you know, it's more than just saying the right things and, and doing the right things, but, but to have the right reasons and the right motive inside as well. Our, our actions are only as good as our motives, our motives are only as good as our actions. So words can be cheap and, and even actions can be meaningless in the end because you may really love someone in your heart, really care for them, have the deepest compassion for them, want them to do well, but then when you have the ability or the opportunity to do something and then you don't, it was not real love. And, and conversely, you could be doing all of the right and the noble things in your life in which you're helping others, but you're, you're doing it in a way that seeks recognition or repayment or in a sense of self-satisfaction or self-advancement. And so that way you're, you're actively loving, but inwardly it, it was not true. It was not sacrificial. But when we think about actions and intentions, there's no truer example of sacrificial love than the cross. That Jesus gave every bit of himself for us, knowing that we could never repay him in any sense. And he did it not because he had to, but because he chose to and because he loved you. See, we can't truly love until we understand what love truly is. And if you want to know what love is, look no further than Jesus. That love is this deep, sacrificial thing. Not only is, is love sacrificial, it's deeper than we can really truly understand or muster up ourselves. Love is not from us, right? Love, love is from God. Love is divine. And that's what we see in all of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, is that, that these are, are God's characteristics, Right? This is, this is God's love that he wants to grow in us. And so if you flip forward a chapter in 1 John, we see kind of a further explanation of what love is, verses 7 and 8, in which it reads, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, 
Because God is love. Now, there's just two kind of profound statements I want to unpack from this. And the first is, love comes from God. The second is, God is love. And we look at this, these words, love comes from God. It tells us a lot about what love is. And this is spoken in the context, if you read all of this in chapter 4, about us as children of God are going to be different than the world. We're going to have different qualities if we are a child of God. And, and it's saying that children will, will inherit the qualities of their parents. Children become a reflection of their parents. And those of you who are parents know this, that they begin to do what you do, either good or bad or something in between. They, they start to reflect and emulate you. And I start to see this in my own children. Uh, funny story from about a month ago. Uh, I had uh, kind of lift, I lifted too much, and I'm learning as I get older that just because I, I can lift something heavy doesn't mean I should lift something heavy. And I, I threw up my back for a couple of weeks, and it was sore, and I was strained in the mornings. And so Mason would see me in the mornings laying on the ground and, and stretching out my back and kind of moaning and groaning. And so a couple of weeks ago, it was time for him to get ready to go on the bus. He's laying on the couch, and he said, just a minute. I... My back is really sore, and I, I need to stretch this out. And he's, he's groaning on the ground and stretching it out. And, and I looked at my wife, and I said, did I really look that pathetic? <laughs> and she didn't answer me. <laughs> but you see these things, they, they see you, and they emulate you. And, and, and that's what, it's, what, what the Apostle John is saying here, is like, if you're really from God, then you'll love like him. And this is kind of like a paternity test for us as Christians, if God is your father, then the primary way to know is through your love. So if you love as God loves, it's pretty clear you're a child of him. If you don't love like, like he loves, then, then you don't know God and you're not born of him. And it's that simple. When you become a child of God, you inherit his love. And the second thing we see here is that God is love. Now, these three words are very common words that we use in our everyday language many times, but, but these words, and in this order, actually say a lot. And this is very theologically profound. It changes your whole life as a Christian. Because in this are the two greatest pursuits of, of mankind, right? Everyone's on a journey to find God and to find love. And this, this defines both of them when it's read in this order. Now, there's an important distinction between God is love and love is God. And the way of the world is the idea that love is God. And so all of the things that, that make you feel lovely, all of the things that, that elevate or, or validate you are going to be your God. And you're going to chase them, you're going to pursue them, you're going to look for all of your contentment and your joy and your peace and, and those things that make you feel lovely. If you don't know Jesus, that's, that's what you wear yourself out in in life. But when you read that God is love, that totally changes the game and all of our pursuit, that, that God himself is the true source of love. And just like heat from a fire or light from the sun, that, that God himself radiates love. Okay, and when you find God, 
you find love. And if that point isn't clear, the Apostle John takes it a step further in verses 9 and 10, where he says, This is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Important point here is that God is love and that God loved you first. God loves you the most. And God does not love us because we are lovable. God loves us because he is love. It's just who he is. And the love that we pursue, the love that we want to promote as Christ followers is not our love It's his love. Love in and of itself is divine. So the love that we're given through the fruit of the Holy Spirit is much more than our own love. It's it's a better love. It's it's a perfect love. It's a divine love. It's a love that comes from God. Now we're going to look at the, the, the theme verse here for the series, and we're going to go back and just note one important thing, that that love comes first in this list. And again, there's some danger in, in looking at this list as, as like a checklist or like a lockstep program or like I need to become a more loving person and once I do that, then I can be more joyful and, and on down the list to self-control. All of these things work together congruently and, and concurrently. They, they work in the same direction and all at the same time, but none of them would work without love. Love becomes the chief value here that drives all the rest of it. And so if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to look at that very quickly. Uh, But this is what we would know as the the chapter of love in the Bible. And it had been referenced a couple times already today, and Dean had mentioned verse 13, which which the Apostle Paul is talking about love top to bottom in this whole scripture, and concludes the matter in verse 13 where this is talking about all of the work that God does in your life, right? And these three things remain. These are the greatest works of God in your life, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There is no greater work of God in your life than love. And we go back in the chapter and, and look at these, uh, this definition. This is arguably the, the longest and the most comprehensive definition of love in the Bible. The love is patient, kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and as verse eight goes on to say, love never fails. Now, if you notice something interesting, that definition contains all of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they're all in here. In verse 6, it says that love will rejoice with truth. Talking about joy. Peace, which we understand is this, this, this um, 
you know, non-contentious, this ability to live in harmony. And verse 4 says, love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. You go on to the fruit of the spirit of patience and kindness. And those are listed very directly in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. The fruit of goodness, this is talking about moral goodness and having this desire to do what's right and see what is done right around you. Verse 6, love does not delight in evil. The fruit of faithfulness is next, which is this idea of sticking with it and not giving up on others, not giving up on God. Verse 7 says, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The fruit of gentleness, which is this idea of, of not posturing over others. Verse 5 says, love does not dishonor others. And that means love is not rude to others. And furthermore, it's, it keeps no record of wrongs. And self-control is the last fruit, which we also see in verse 5, that love is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. So what we see from this is that love is, is first and foremost in the fruit of the Spirit. That each fruit is its own fruit, but all of them are, are made possible by love. And the first fruit that God works in our life is love. And there's a similar argument, which we're going to just say very quickly, or a similar discussion by Paul in, in the book of Colossians where here he uses the analogy of clothing. And again, it's the same idea that if this is the old you and you were, you were full of all of these things and anger and malice and hatred and all of that, that's you of a long time ago and you took all of that stuff off like dirty clothes. When you become a child of God, now you're clothed in new things. In Colossians 3, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. It's a very similar list. It's not the same as the fruit of the Spirit. But you get this idea that love is what really binds everything together. And unity and keeps all of these things working in the same direction. We understand here that love is the root of all of God's work in your life. It's certainly the root of all of the fruit of the Spirit. What we see is that if there's no love in what you're doing, then essentially you're doing it wrong. Love is the chief virtue. We've read a lot about what the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul says. We're going to read two portions of what Jesus himself says about love. And I encourage you to flip back down to the Gospels in Matthew 22. And these are verses that we've all heard, you know, a hundred times. But it's important to understand the context again in which Jesus is sharing these greatest commandments because he had uh, kind of a run-in with the Sadducees, and they were kind of humbled. They were very sad, you see. <laughs> and the Pharisees got together, and they say, we're going to take this Jesus guy down. And one expert of the law stands up and says, I'm going to test him with this question. And this guy, this, this answer that Jesus, we're about to read here, the answer he gave w w was to a question of a guy who really didn't want an answer. 
he, he wanted an argument. And so he's asking in the most unloving way possible, and yet Jesus brings the discussion back to love. So he's asked by this expert, what is the greatest commandment of the law? To which he had his own answer he was ready to give. But Jesus replied with this in verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is a a profound answer that really reshapes how we think of all of the Christian life. Because up to this point, many people had themselves thinking it's it's about doing these things and not doing those things and, and dressing this way and having this kind of food. And if we do all these things, then I'm a good person and God's gonna love me. And Jesus said, all of those things aren't aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but these two things kind of summarize all of it. Love God and love people. Not just with action, or not just with thoughts or with empty actions, but love God with your whole with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love others in the way that you would love yourself. Love people, love God. Deeply. And these are in a specific order, but they're they're not mutually exclusive from one another. You can't love God unless you also love people. And you cannot truly love people unless you also and first love God. But the point we get from this is that love is not just a suggestion of God. Love is an expectation. It's a commandment. It's, It's what we're supposed to do first and foremost. And it's Furthermore, the most basic command of God that summarizes all of his expectations of us. Love God, love people. The last point I want to get to today is also from Jesus, where he takes this idea and then kind of ups the ante a bit more. In John 13, I'll have you flip there. This is his final night with the disciples. When he's having dinner with them in the upper room, he, he has this incredible moment of, of, of servitude, servant-heartedness, in which he watches the disciples' feet, and, and he's about to have many conversations with them, but he, he kind of starts really all of the conversation with this idea that love, the way we love each other becomes our evidence that we are truly believers or disciples of, of Jesus. So Jesus writes in John 13, 34, 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. If you stop right there, you'd say, well, that's not a new command. That's, that was all the way back in Deuteronomy. God has always told us to love one another. But then he puts this condition in there. As I have loved you, love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if, if you love one another, as Jesus has loved us. You know, I read this, my first thought is like, seriously? Like, you expect me to love others like you love me? Like, you want me, you want me to give up everything and like die on the cross for people? 
And really, we can never love each other the way that Jesus loved us. That needs to be made very clear. And so in this command, we have to understand the difference between the magnitude in which we love people and the manner in which we love people. We can never love people to the magnitude that Jesus loved us. We can't. It's impossible. But we can and should always love others in the manner that he loved us. And this is where it's, it's taking it up a whole nother level. Loving other people as much as we love ourselves is hard. But let's be honest. We're not always good at loving ourselves. We're not. We, we torture ourselves. We abuse ourselves. But if we love others as Jesus loves us, that means that, that we need to love in a way in which we completely die to ourselves. And that Christ-like love becomes the true evidence that we are for real as, as believers and disciples of Jesus. Loving one another as he loved us is the proof that we are children of God. See, lo- loving others as the world loves is, is pretty easy. Because the world loves in this, this the, kind of the first law of self-preservation. And, and the question you ask when you love someone in a worldly sense is, ultimately, what's in it for me? Right? It's, it's easy to love those who love you. It's easy to love those who give you something in return. So loving others as the world loves in a shallow way is easy. Right? Loving others as we love ourselves, is, is very noble. Right? But loving others as Jesus loved us is miraculous. It's miraculous, and it's well beyond our own abilities. The only explanation that people can give when they see us loving others as Jesus has loved us is there's something different about that person that's well beyond them. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. That's the love that Jesus, that the Spirit wants to work in you, is is Christ-like love. So I just want to close today in, in saying that if you're struggling to love others in this way, or to love God in this way, it's okay. This is a lifelong process, and, and it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of of work for God to, to, to work this love in us. But there's two simple things that you can do if you're finding yourself short in this. And the first is, is to ask, okay? Ask God to, to, to make you a more loving person. It doesn't come by just loving harder, okay? I'm, I can tell myself I'm going to be 200% more loving tomorrow. And that's not going to bring you to the love that, that is displayed in the fruit of the Spirit. It is only a work that God can do in your life. And so you ask him. And that means he's probably going to give you a situation in which it's, it's difficult to love someone. Jesus didn't tell us we're to love only our friends and our families. He told us we're to love even our enemies and those who don't love you back. Ask God to help you there. He'll give you the opportunity. He'll give you the strength. And the second part is to trust the process that God has. It's not going to be instant. It's not going to be easy but it's a work that he wants to do in you that only he can do in you. Because in the end, this, this is his fruit. It is not yours. If you find yourself lacking in love, ask and trust. What we know is that when you are filled 
with the Holy Spirit, you will ultimately be filled with his love. It's, it's that simple. Right? When the Holy Spirit is working in you and guiding you, he's going to make you a more loving person. In the end, God wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to bring you to a place of Christ-like like love. As we lean on the Holy Spirit day in and day out for that to happen. It's, it's his love. It's his work. Let's close in prayer today. So God, as we think about this message, and, and for me, I knew going into this, this would be the most challenging message for me personally and, and probably for all of us. Uh, God, we, we, we often fall short here. And so I just pray, God, for, for us to just come to that place of humility and recognition, but, but also to see this as an opportunity to know that there's, there's a, a greater love that you want to work in us than we could work in ourselves. And so I pray for all of us, as we place our faith in you, that we place even a little more. Uh, knowing that this is your work in our lives. And, and so we do ask this of you, and we do trust you in this. But Lord, we just thank you above that, that it's not how much we love you that matters, but, but understanding first that, that you loved us. And so God, we just want to take a moment to recognize that, to be joyful in that, that, that you loved us so much that you died for us, to become an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And, and so I pray for anyone here who hasn't quite truly understood or accepted that, that they would know that as there is sin in their life, that, that you have done all that is necessary for forgiveness through your sacrifice. And God, I just pray that, that, that they'd come to a place of acknowledging that before you, that believing that, that all you did on the cross is enough to forgive them of their sin, and that your resurrection also brings them into new and everlasting life. And, and from here forward, they would just confess you and, and trust you as Lord, turn away from what they know is wrong, and towards you, the holy and living God. But God, for any one of us who's made that decision, either right now or, or maybe decades in the past, we know that this is a process of sanctification, that you are working in us, that you're making us into a new creation. And so God, I just pray that we'd have patience in that process. Uh, God, knowing that this is not an instant thing, but a lifelong thing. But God, I can just pray that we can celebrate that at the end of all of this, that we know that we are going to be a different person, that eternally you're going to make us into a perfect person. But this is not something that we can do ourselves. God, this is your work. This is your fruit. God, may we be uh, fruitful in that through all that you're doing in us. So we just thank you for, for your word and for your encouragement. I just pray we'd walk out of here encouraged in that. And God, we just pray, I pray that we glorify you with our lives. And so now we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.